Please remain standing and pray with me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the victory over death of your Son, Jesus Christ. We can scarcely take this all in. But we trust in your love of us as manifested by the event of the resurrection. Help us to understand so that as we grow in faith, we may more closely follow Jesus Christ. In his most holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. We are still in the afterglow, at least I am, of the resurrection from the dead of our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope I don't need to remind you of that. This is the fourth Sunday of Easter, and I see all these weeks leading up to Jesus' return to his Father as a time for us to reflect on all that this resurrection means. There will be time to contemplate his return to his Father and Pentecost with the giving of the Holy Spirit, and the promises connected to that over the next few weeks. The Gospel reading for the day, read beautifully by Deacon Rhonda, is a kind of look back for us, where Jesus, in his own seeming reflection, in his so-called farewell discourse, offers to his disciples a look at the future, a look at the things that are to come, The best description I could think of of his words to them is cryptic. Indeed, they're so cryptic that the disciples can't figure out what he's telling them. And if we think about it, we know there are other times where the disciples seem lacking in understanding, and might I say, dull. They understand things better after the fact. And this may be as it is with us. But possibly our understanding in this case is better because we've been through Jesus' passion. And so his speaking of not being present and then again being with them makes some sense. I learned this past week at the Eastern Assembly of our Diocese in Burlington, Ontario, with snow and ice on the way home yesterday, (laughs) that repetition in preaching is a good thing. So... Let me repeat a little of the Gospel reading so that we all have the same focus. Jesus said, A little while, and you will see me no more. Again a little while, and you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, What is that that he says to us? A little while, and you'll not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me. And because I go to the Father. They said, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he means. A little bit later then, truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus speaking, of course, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. This particular section of John's Gospel is part of and concludes what has been termed the upper room discourse, or the final discourse, as I called it earlier. And at least this part seems to deal primarily with the emotions of the disciples. They were sorrowing. They were confused about some of Jesus' teaching, and they were afraid. Remember last week they were hiding. 
Is it not encouraging to know that the disciples were real people with real problems? And yet, the Lord was able to use them. We sometimes, I think, get the false impression that they were somehow special. They were in one way, but they weren't very different from us. They were especially endowed, perhaps, with some spiritual knowledge after meeting with the Lord, and they certainly had courage, but they did fear. They did have emotion. They were human all the way. The passage which I, you heard read and then that I read a little bit more of, or repeated, brings up two major questions that I should like to try to answer this morning. First off, just what is our Lord talking about when he told his disciples that they would not see him for a period of time, and then they would see him again? One might believe that Jesus was talking about his upcoming passion. We know that series of events is not too far into their future. This thinking would make some sense. We know that Jesus will be taken from his disciples, his closest associates for some years, his confidants, if you will, and will be put to death on the cross. But then, as we also know, he will rise from the dead, and this will allow salvation and eternal life for all believers. He would be seen by these same folk three days later. And is this what Jesus was attempting to tell them agreeably in a rather enigmatic way? I do not think so. No. I think that Jesus was anticipating his return to his Father before Pentecost. Remember, because I go to the Father. And this ties in with John 16.10, just a few verses prior to this, where he says, in regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. Then I believe that when he says they will see him again, he means that they will see him at the parousia, or the parousia, if you prefer, the second coming, his return in glory. But, if what I say is true, how do we explain the phrase, in a little while? I would have to say that Jesus was thinking in a different time frame. His reference point was on the time scale of eternity. Let us all remember all the time that our Lord was not only a priest and a king, but also a prophet, prophet, priest, and king. You should know that and have it at the tip of your tongue. Prophets <laughs> speak this way frequently with a telescope time. This was a term my favorite Old Testament professor used. They telescope time. They might speak about an event as if it were imminent, when it might not come to pass for many years. Isaiah and Jeremiah are replete with those kind of statements, where the prophet prognosticates events in the distant future that makes them sound nearby. Recall a prophet is not limited in his oracles by our time scale. And so I think that this is what's happening here. 
Jesus is saying that indeed he'll be gone from their presence and in eternity time he'll return in a little while. We could discuss this later. <laughs> the second question to consider regards the joy, the joy about which Jesus is speaking when he says their sorrow will turn to joy. Now, he uses the image of a woman in labor who clearly feels pain during that process. I didn't deliver too many babies, but I know enough about it that there's pain there. And in reality, the woman, I am sure, believes that that pain is never going to dissipate. Every moment of the pain of labor may seem like an hour. Or perhaps a kidney stone, Bob, I don't know. <laughs> now, I hasten to point out that I have no personal experience with labor, <laughs> but only the empathetic pain felt when my loving wife Susan delivered our three daughters and, more recently, watching my three daughters have their children. But I know you get it. When one is in extreme distress, for whatever reason, time crawls along, and one thinks of all kinds of maneuvers to relieve the pain. But once the baby comes, or once the pain is relieved, there is that relief, I would say, that joy that fills the heart. Jesus knows that in the case of the woman delivering the baby, the joy of seeing her newborn, and I'm getting chills already, and having that baby placed in her arms and close to her heart is nearly inexpressible. And so, this is the joy about which Jesus is speaking, that kind of joy. He knows that his disciples are facing a lonesome and painful time, but he reassures them that the joy that they will feel will eclipse their discomfort and make it as if there never was any problematic issue, never was any pain. And even though that ineffable joy may not come until his return in glory. Now, they may not even fully understand the joy that is to come. Paul did, but this was after reflection sometime later in time. Paul said, in 1 Corinthians, and kind of pulled from Isaiah, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Remember that. Bear that in mind. And please note, that's a very good example of telescoping, by the way. I had said earlier that this passage in John might be thought of as a look back, but I want to amend that slightly, and say that it is also a look ahead. Jesus also tells them that he really must go away, that it is for their good that he is going away. Very importantly, as we approach Pentecost, we are told that unless he goes away, the incredible but totally crucial third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, cannot come to dwell with them and continue Jesus' work in them. 
We know very well that this is an unfolding plan that was set in motion many years ago. I'd like to briefly comment on the reading from Genesis, the first reading you heard this morning about Joseph. There, recall, and I know you know the story, Joseph, who was left as dead by his brothers in a well or a pit or whatever it was, through the work of God, through the work of God, becomes the chief honcho in Egypt and subsequently and consequently saves Israel, the chosen people of God, from extinction, from famine. And in that sense, does he not save them as the ancestors for all of God's chosen people? I believe he does. I mentioned this at this time as a reminder of the power of the sovereign Lord. Here in Genesis, we see just one of the acts of God that mark the beginnings of his unfolding plan for his people in his kingdom. The plan that will restore our fallen world, our fallen cosmos to paradise. So, after thinking about these two things, what Jesus meant when he said he would return in a little while, and how we should think about the joy that is promised, we should all continue to pray for Jesus' return. Not only his return to his Father that will allow for the Holy Spirit, but his second coming to us that will usher in that amazing time of complete restitution of paradise that will be filled with joy for all believers. I had been preparing this sort of half foot in the car coming back from wherever I was, Burlington, Ontario. So it's only nine hours away. And I had my laptop out and I was picking away at it. But I got up real early this morning, as, as is my want, and I sat down and I remembered a hymn now, I didn't remember where I'd heard it, but this is from a... I looked it up. Thank God for Google. Um, <laughs> this is from a 17th century hymn that I remember singing years ago, and David may know it well, by Christian Keimann, a German. And it just came right into my mind because I was thinking about joy, and I'm saying, am I saying enough, Lord? Am I letting people know there's enough joy here? And I remember this hymn. Oh, rejoice, ye Christians, loudly. For your joy hath now begun. Wondrous things our God hath done. Tell abroad his goodness proudly, who our race hath honored thus, that he deigns to dwell with us. And then the refrain. Joy, O oh joy, beyond all gladness. Christ hath done away with sadness. Hence all sorrow and repining, for the sun of grace is shining. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your son and his work on the cross of Calvary. Help us to always in our lives have our actions reflect the joy of the resurrection and of the anticipation of the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ.
Amen.